Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Clinical trials. There are some of the important ways that we actually can help for all of the different treatments of a variety of different conditions. Today we're going to focus on cancer and ways that people who are currently diagnosed with a particular problem may want to figure out if there are some newer treatments available on the horizon. Keep in mind, what we do today was probably what was newer on the horizon 10 or 15 years ago. So clinical trials are the backbone beyond which we really are able to advance the research into finding the way to treat cancer and hopefully find a cure. So today I'm joined by three members at the table. We have Dr. Jessica Ree. She is a UH Cancer Center Medical Director and Clinical Trials Office. And we also have Sandra He. She actually is a breast cancer clinical trial participant. And Dr. Randall Holcomb, and he is at the UH Cancer Center as the director. So we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the cancer trials that currently are looking for increases in enrollment, things that you may want to participate in right now, even if you don't have cancer. And we're also going to talk about the general role of clinical trials in the advancement of science. So thank you, all three of you, for joining me today at The Body Show. We're happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Dr. Ree, I'm curious, because one of the things that some people feel is clinical trials are just for people who have cancer. But you're currently working on a trial right now, trying to enroll participants to look at women who haven't had cancer to find what is the best method for screening. Tell me more about that. Yes, you're correct. There are many different types of clinical trials, not only just for treating cancer, but also for early detection, as well as symptom management and prevention. So we currently have a clinical trial called TMIST. It's the Tomosynthesis Mammographic Imaging Screening Trial. And this is for all women between the ages of 45 and 74 who are currently undergoing routine annual screening, and it's comparing a newer technology called tomosynthesis, which creates a three-dimensional image of the breast, to standard digital mammography, which creates a two-dimensional image of the breast, to see if the newer technology is better at finding those clinically significant cancers and decrease the death rate from breast cancer. So that's the kind of trial that, I mean, boy... I'm 45. I don't want to admit it. But uh, those are the kinds of things that I know when you go to do mammography, they say to you, do you want to do 3D? Do you want to do the tomosynthesis? Do you want to do the standard? And so a lot of women are asked this question. And sometimes right now, the 3D might be an additional expense for them. And they can choose to do whichever modality they want. But if you're within that age group, we could potentially enroll in this trial. Now to do so, does that mean you have to change the location where you do your mammogram? Well, currently this trial is available at the Queens Medical Center, so that's where the trial is uh, enrolling patients. And so you would go to Queens, and if you already do, you could participate in the trial. And if you don't yet, could you go to Queens for your mammogram and then participate in the trial? Yes, of course you can. And does the trial cover all the additional costs of different types of mammograms? The imaging tests are built to insurance, just like uh, routine imaging And if they do have that additional pay for the 3D, that additional payment, that probably is still going to be the case. We're looking at the difference between the long long term. Do one of these different modalities help to identify cancer that's clinically significant? Correct. 
there have been a little bit of controversy re- recently about doing some of the invasive treatments for early stage breast cancer. You know, for one of the things that I know they now call something stage zero, which is like a brand new kind of a terminology. And we're finding that sometimes, particularly if women, you know, they may ask, why do we stop at 75? If you're 90 and we find something, it may not be clinically significant. So when you use that term clinically significant, are we talking about things that potentially would result in some type of treatment? Correct. By clinically significant, we mean the kind of cancers that are the more aggressive type that if left undiagnosed and untreated would lead to death. So these would be more serious types of things. Yes, these are the cancers that would definitely require treatment and that we need to definitely find early. So if you happen to be doing mammograms at Queens and you hear about this trial, this is something that's helping us to distinguish what would be the best type of mammograms to do in the future. Right now, there's those two options. And then you might find out that one of those could be superior than the other based on the results of the trial. That actually may change the screening recommendations. Yes, it could very well change the standard of care for screening. And that's an important thing because all of us right now who are doing mammograms are following the standard of care that was developed. Well, hopefully we are. And that's something that may change depending on what we find out with great research like this. Correct. Now, there's another trial that you're also enrolling in, and this one is for people who have cancer. Correct. This is called the ABC trial, the Aspirin Breast Cancer Trial. And this is for men and women who've had stage 2 or 3 breast cancer between the ages of 18 to 69. And it is um, after completion of all standard therapies, such as surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation therapy. And some of the uh, participants would be assigned to aspirin um, every day for five years. And this is to determine whether taking additional aspirin after standard treatments have been completed can decrease the risk of the cancer returning. So in addition to all other standard treatments, we would add aspirin as well and then compare the group that takes aspirin, the group that doesn't. Correct. And this is actively enrolling patients? Correct. It's actively enrolling at um, all the major hospitals and private oncology offices. Are these trials just Hawaii-based? This is a national trial that's sponsored by the National Cancer Institute and is being offered to our community through the UH Cancer Center. And so if you did participate in this trial, you may be one participant. There may be people across the nation who also are participating in the trial to try and identify if aspirin has a beneficial effect. Correct. There will be uh, several thousand women that will be uh, enrolled nationwide. Well, and that brings up the question, what would make someone want to enroll in a clinical trial? And Sandra, that's where you come into play because you are currently enrolling in the process of enrolling in a clinical trial. And I'm curious, when you got the diagnosis that you did, what made you decide clinical trials would be something you'd want to participate in? Um, Women of many years and decades before me participated in trials and research such as this, and I've been such a benefactor of such research, and I feel now that it's an opportunity and really a privilege and also a responsibility for me to give back to the cancer community by participating in these ongoing trials and research. And like you said, uh, Dr. Kozak, It is the backbone of research to find a cure for cancer. So because of all the people who have come before you, 
you got a diagnosis of breast cancer and decided you're going to participate in clinical trials to help the next generation, hopefully, of women who maybe will find a cure, but we may find more targeted treatments for that particular cancer type that you have. Yes. Do any of your friends ask you questions about it? Like, why are you doing it? Or do they have concerns that you might not be getting routine care? Well, definitely, I do understand the scope of this research. And it has been explained to me that it is only a benefit, really, for me to have the full-on treatment, the care, and um, the care that follows after the standard care of treatment. Well, and I admire you for saying, hey, I am going to participate in this. And the nice thing is that you know you're going to be getting regular treatment Mm -hmm. and maybe also benefiting from an additional treatment that's currently under clinical investigation. So thank you for that because it's the very people like yourself who once they decide they're going to participate in a trial really are moving forward and advancing science for all of us who hopefully will not get a diagnosis of cancer. Mm -hmm. But if we do, it's nice to know that there are some treatments that have been tried, investigated, and found to be superior through clinical trials, which is what we're talking about today. So thank you for that. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about clinical trials, how people get enrolled, how you get information about it, and how long it takes to get some of the results and the findings. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Here in the studio with my guests, we have a clinical trial participant, Sandra He. We have Dr. Jessica Ree. She's at the UH Cancer Center as a medical director, and she's working on two clinical trials we just heard about. And we have Dr. Randall Holcomb, and he is a UH Cancer Center director. Now, we've heard from Dr. Ree about two of the trials. There's the T-MIST trial that's looking at the different types of mammography screening, whether it be standard or 3D or tomosynthesis. And if there is a superior version of mammograms that we should be looking at, we also heard about the ABC trial, the aspirin and breast cancer trial, for those people who may have already gotten a diagnosis of stage 2 or 3 breast cancer and who want to have finished their treatment and want to consider, does aspirin help prevent further recurrences of cancer? And if so, that's another trial that is currently part of a national trial system from the National Cancer Institute and available to people here in the islands. Now, Dr. Holcomb, you are the UH Cancer Center Director. I am certain that you have heard people with a variety of different myths that they may have about clinical trials. What are some of those, and what are the truth behind that? Kathleen, there are several myths about clinical trials, and uh, part of our mission at the Cancer Center is to help educate the public uh, about what clinical trials uh, really Uh, are and how they can benefit uh, from them. Uh, I always like to tell people that uh, the standard care that people think is so great today was not the standard of care 10 years ago. It was a clinical trial. And the clinical trials today will likely be the standard of care 10 years from now. So people have the opportunity to participate in trials and really get the most advanced therapy. There are lots of myths, as you say. Uh, People are worried 
that they won't get any active treatment. We never do uh, cancer trials when people don't get uh, appropriate treatment. Uh, all of the trials that are sponsored by the UH Cancer Center are vetted through the National Cancer Institute, the Food and Drug Administration, and a scientific review committee at the Cancer Center. And this is really to ensure that the trials are of the highest quality science and provide the safety that patients really need uh, for trials. Also, people think that trials are only for when they failed all standard therapy, and that's not at all the case. You've just heard about two trials here. Um, uh, One that helps to prevent relapse of cancer, um, the ABC trial, and one that's for screening. We also have uh, nutrition trials uh, for cancer prevention. Uh, We have an acupuncture trial for symptom management, and we also have very many treatment trials. But some of those treatment trials may be for the first diagnosis of cancer and not necessarily for end-stage cancer. So there are, there are lots of misconceptions about what clinical trials are, uh, and I think that the best way to address that uh, is really to continue to educate uh, both the practitioners as well as the public. And that's what we're doing right now. Perfect. Now, where do people find out about clinical trials? Would they be able to go to a website? Should they rely on their oncologist? Should they be looking at these things on their own? For somebody to even find out more about whether they have a diagnosis that is precancerous or cancerous and they say, I want to do a clinical trial, how do they find out more? So the answer is yes. Basically, yes, to all yes, of and those. yes. Yes, yes, okay. and yes. Um, uh, People should be their own advocates, uh, so they, they shouldn't hesitate to look for trials. There are various websites uh, that people can go to. One of them is the UH Cancer Center website. We have a listing uh, of clinical trials on our website that are sponsored here in Hawaii. You can also go to a national uh, website called clinicaltrials.gov. I will admit, however, that when someone goes to that website, they will be inundated with thousands of trials, and it will be very difficult to figure out which one might be appropriate for them. So the next step is really to talk to your doctor. Uh, If you uh, don't have cancer, you can talk to your internist about clinical trials uh, or your family physician. Uh, If you do have cancer, you should talk to your oncologist uh, about clinical trials. And usually there will be some information uh, that they can provide or they'll refer you to the right resources. Other places where you can find information are the American Cancer Society, the Komen Society. These are all groups here in Hawaii that we work closely with. So the idea would be that if you have some, if you have a thought that you want to participate in a trial, know that you're not going to receive no treatment, that the standard of care for your diagnosis is going to be what you're offered. Now, if there, if the standard of care is not treatment, then that may be the standard. But as you mentioned, a lot of the trials are looking at various stages, not just cancer, but you know people who don't have cancer yet. And we'll talk about that TMIS trial again in a moment. But also, it could be a stage one cancer, a stage two, a stage three, even stage four. So some of the different particular nuances of those clinical trials are probably something that not everybody who says, I want to do this trial, would be enrolled. There is a process that they go through. And, Sandra, you've been through that process. And so it's not just, if you just said, I want to participate in trials and it didn't apply to you, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. So you picked a trial that you wanted to participate in and you worked with your doctors to be able to do so. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you find that? How did you find out about the trial? Did you find it or did your doctor tell you about it? 
initially, I, my doctor did um, pose the situation to me, and Cheryl Vernon, I believe on staff at the UH Cancer Research Center, um, informed me in more detail, and I decided to go for it. Well, and again, I thank you for doing that. But I'm glad to know that, you know, you heard about it, and then you decided, I'm going to look into it a little bit further. You know, Dr. Ree, I'm curious, do you often have people who contact the Cancer Center to hear more about the trials, and sometimes maybe they're not particularly eligible? Well, the patients uh, can call the Cancer Center at any time or go to our website, uhcancercenter.org, to uh, look at what trials that we have available. We have a limited information from the patient, and really it's the doctor that has their full medical history and would be able to determine whether they are eligible because there are these uh, eligibility criteria, factors that um, that have to be met in order to be able to um, be able to enroll in the clinical trial, um, such as normal organ function, certain stage type of cancer. So the physician would be the best one to know what all those details are in terms of medical history. Sure, because in some cases, if the treatment that's being tested would potentially impact kidneys, you wouldn't want someone who has kidney failure to be enrolling in a trial that could make it worse. So there are certain medical conditions that have to be either well-controlled or not present to be able to participate in certain types of trials. Correct. Now, there's different phases of clinical trials, and that's something that I think bears discussion because people hear about phase one, phase two, phase three types of trials. How would you describe those different phases? So the first phase is actually the preclinical phase, and that is where all of the uh, studies are done in the laboratory, in cells, and in animals to first test new treatments, uh, new devices to make sure that they uh, there is promise in activity, and then it moves on to a phase one trial. So that's the first time a new treatment is uh, given to people, and that's really testing the safety of the trial and determining the correct dose. And if a new treatment is um, is able to be given safely, then it graduates to a phase two trial, which is really testing, um, again, safety and efficacy to make sure that the, the effect that we want to see does, does occur. And if a treatment is successful in a phase two trial, then it graduates to phase three, and that's where the new treatment is being compared to the standard treatment. And those trials are very large, requiring thousands of people over several years. And uh, if a new treatment is successful in a phase three trial, then it is, uh, can be FDA approved. And may become the standard of care, as you mentioned, Dr. Holcomb. Absolutely true. And it's really important for people to participate in clinical trials because we really don't gain knowledge uh, without completing a clinical trial and understanding uh, what the consequences of different treatments are and how they can benefit people. We've started a a public education campaign called 20 by 25 uh, where we hope to educate the public and actually – reach a level where about 20% of adults with cancer by the year 2025 uh, participate in some form of clinical trial because it really is the highest quality uh, of care that a cancer patient can get. And the current percentage? Current percentage for adults is between 3 and 5%. Now, that is completely different from children where it's very high and up around 75%, maybe something we could talk about some more. 
We will when we come right back. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jessica Ree and Dr. Randall Holcomb, both from the UH Cancer Center, and also Sandra He. She is a breast cancer clinical trial participant and has taken that step to actually put her own health in the mix and say, I want to pay back all those people who also made the current standard of care, which was previously a clinical trial, and maybe even be part of the discovery of the next standard of care. So when we come back, we're going to talk some more about that difference in the participation rates, why that might be, and why we've set this goal for 2025. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my guests from UH Cancer Center, Dr. Jessica Ree, Dr. Randall Holcomb, and also a clinical trial participant, Sandra He. And right before the break, we were talking about the percentage of people that participate in clinical trials. For adults, it's only about 3 to 5%. For kids, it's upwards of 75 or more percent. I am very curious, Dr. Holcomb, why is that? Well, there are probably lots of factors uh, related to that. Uh, Kids don't get cancer, fortunately, that often. Uh, They usually go to a referral center. And at the referral center, they're invested in clinical trials because they know that the advances we've made in curing childhood cancer is because we've been doing clinical trials and enrolling patients onto those trials. So when, when their physicians take the time to explain the best treatments to the parents, they make a decision 75% of the time for their kids to enroll on a clinical trial. It is the standard of care to participate in a clinical trial if you're a child with cancer. Uh, Adults, often they don't really want to spend the time thinking about clinical trials. They think the standard of care uh, is adequate for them. For some diseases, that's okay, but for some types of cancer, it's definitely not okay. And uh, and we should uh, enroll more patients into clinical trials. Here in Hawaii, it's especially important uh, that people participate in clinical trials. Uh, Across the country, if you look at cancer clinical trials, 95% of the individuals who participate in those trials are white. And that means that you may know something about how a drug works, but you know how a drug works in people of one particular race. And that may or may not apply to people of different races and different ethnicities. Here in Hawaii, we enroll about 75% non-whites to our clinical trials through the UH uh, Cancer Center. So people in Hawaii who are participating in clinical trials are really providing exceptional information uh, for understanding how new treatments and new drugs work for people with cancer. Well, and that multi-ethnic opportunity is something that is unique here to the islands for the variety of different types of ethnic backgrounds that we have. It would be difficult to replicate that anywhere else, maybe some places on the West Coast. But honestly, I have heard more than once that Hawaii is really a place that is looked on, looked upon as very advantageous if you're able to set up and do a clinical trial because of that multi-ethnic variation, because you're going to get information that is not applicable just to one particular ethnic background, which, again, as you said, sometimes is okay, but there may be nuances. There might be certain things that need to be adjusted, and we don't know that until we look at that particular difference. Now, 
You mentioned that adults often don't enroll in clinical trials. I'm curious, is it a lot of extra time? Sandra, do you find that the process of enrolling in the trial or being a participant has taken a large amount of time to do? Or has this been something that kind of was easy and you just, you felt like you could incorporate this and get it done and take care of yourself and still do your other activities that you like to enjoy? Being a benefactor of now being in remission because of trials and research before me, I I think it's just simply a responsibility. And it does not take much more time than going shopping or, or um, perhaps even reading a few chapters of a book. So the time did not deter you from no. wanting to participate. The basis of wanting a cure for cancer and to be able to give back, I think, is just the basis of wanting to participate in any trial. And that sounds like that motivation means if you have to take a little extra time from your day, that's inspiring enough that you're yes. going to do it. Mm-hmm. Again, I applaud you and I thank you for that. Dr. Reed, do you find that people who might decide they want to participate in, in either the TMIST trial or the ABC trial, would they need to expend a lot of extra time? Or could this be something that honestly is not going to cause a huge amount of time investment if they don't have that time and hopefully then encourage people to participate? Both of these trials are in line with what is done as part of standard of care, so it won't take any um, significant amount of time, so that really shouldn't be an issue in terms of enrollment. And in terms of clinical trial participation, one of the reasons why it offers the highest level of care is because you're cared for by an entire team of individuals and not just your physician. And you're uh, you're under much more scrutiny and uh, Every side effect is recorded and managed, and uh, you always have someone that you can contact uh, 24-7. So the, the care is, is at a much higher level because there are many more people that are um, looking after you. And Dr. Holcomb, one of the other myths that I think we ought to bust in the last couple of minutes that we have here is that if you participate in a clinical trial, you lose the opportunity to see your oncologist. That is not the case. Uh, Kathleen, that is absolutely not the case, and I love busting myths about clinical trials, so that is exceptional. Um, Actually, we have a very unique setup here uh, in Hawaii. Uh, The UH Cancer Center works with all of the clinical providers uh, here uh, in the state. Uh, Patients can go to their own physician, and their own physician uh, is most likely part of our clinical trials network, so they can get treatment at Uh, at the center or at the physician's office where they normally get it. And so you're not leaving your oncologist. You are adding to the treatment options that you have, and you're helping to advance science and hopefully help to find the cure and the next The next standard of care, as you mentioned earlier, what we do these days was the experiment five, ten years ago. That's absolutely true, and I think that the more progress that we make, uh, the better chance that uh, we will uh, cure cancer at some point in the near future. Now, you've mentioned that people could call the UH Cancer Center and they could find out more about clinical trials. Is there a phone number that we can share with our audience? You know, I'm not sure that I know that off the top of my head. But there's a uh, website. There is a website, and it's on the website. And um, if you 
Uh, don't get someone uh, live. Uh, leave a message, and we'll make sure to get back to you. And you can just put into Google or whatever your preferred search engine is, UH Cancer Center, and you'll be able to be directed right to the site. Absolutely. There's a, there's a spot on the website that says clinical trials. Just go to that. And I honestly thank all three of you for coming on today. Sandra, especially the fact that you've been open and willing to share your story, why you're participating in a trial, and what you want to get out of this, and the inspiring thought that you want to give back to everyone else. So I want to thank all three of you. That's Dr. Jessica Ree, Dr. Randall Hokum, and Sandra He. They are all both of them from the UH Cancer Center, and Sandra, you're a clinical trial participant. So thank all of you for sharing your expertise with us and honest opinions today. I really appreciate that. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week, and we'll talk some more about ways to keep yourself healthy and doing well. See you then. (laughs) 